Chapter twenty five of the Arabian Nights Entertainments. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Ferguson. The Arabian Nights Entertainments by Andrew Lang. Chapter twenty five. The Story of the Barber's Sixth Brother. There now remains for me to relate to you the story of my sixth brother, whose name was Shakabak. Like the rest of us, he inherited a hundred silver drachmas from our father, which he thought was a large fortune, but through ill luck he soon lost it all, and was driven to beg. As he had a smooth tongue and good manners, he really did very well in his new profession, and he devoted himself specially to making friends with the servants in big houses, so as to gain access to their masters. One day he was passing a splendid mansion, with a crowd of servants lounging in the courtyard. He thought that from the appearance of the house it might yield him a rich harvest, so he entered and inquired to whom it belonged. "'My good man, where do you come from?' replied the servant. "'Can't you see for yourself that it can belong to nobody but a Barmecide?' For the Barmecides were famed for their liberality and generosity. My brother, hearing this, asked the porters, of whom there were several, if they would give him alms. They did not refuse, but told him politely to go in and speak to the master himself. My brother thanked them for their courtesy, and entered the building, which was so large that it took him some time to reach the apartments of the Barmecide. At last, in a room richly decorated with paintings, he saw an old man with a long white beard, sitting on a sofa, who received him with such kindness that my brother was emboldened to make his petition. "'My lord,' he said, you behold in me a poor man who only lives by the help of persons as rich and as generous as you. Before he could proceed further, he was stopped by the astonishment shown by the Barmecide. "'Is it possible,' he cried, "'that while I am in Baghdad, a man like you should be starving? That is a state of things that must at once be put an end to. Never shall it be said that I have abandoned you, and I am sure that you, on your part, will never abandon me.' "'My lord,' answered my brother, "'I swear that I have not broken my fast this whole day.' "'What? You are dying of hunger?' exclaimed the Barmecide. "'Here, slave, bring water, that we may wash our hands before meat.' No slave appeared, but my brother remarked that the Barmecide did not fail to rub his hands as if water had been poured over them. Then he said to my brother, "'Why don't you wash your hands too?' And Shakabak, supposing that it was a joke on the part of the Barmecide, though he could see none himself, drew near and imitated his motion. When the Barmecide had done rubbing his hands, he raised his voice and cried, "'Set food before us at once. We are very hungry.' No food was brought, but the Barmecide pretended to help himself from a dish, and carry a morsel to his mouth, saying as he did so, "'Eat, my friend, eat, I entreat. Help yourself as freely as if you were at home. For a starving man you seem to have a very small appetite.' "'Excuse me, my lord,' replied Shakabak, imitating his gestures as before. "'I really am not losing time, and I do full justice to the repast.' "'How do you like this bread?' asked Barmecide. "'I find it particularly good myself.' "'Oh, my lord,' answered my brother, who beheld neither meat nor bread, "'never have I tasted anything so delicious.' "'Eat as much as you want,' said the Barmecide. I bought the woman who makes it for five hundred pieces of gold, so that I might never be without it. After ordering a variety of dishes, which never came, to be placed on the table, and discussing the merits of each one, 
the Barmecide declared that having dined so well, they would now proceed to take their wine. To this my brother at first objected, declaring that it was forbidden, but on the Barmecide's insisting that it was out of the question that he should drink by himself, he consented to take a little. The Barmecide, however, pretended to fill their glasses so often that my brother feigned that the wine had gone into his head, and struck the Barmecide such a blow on the head that he fell to the ground. Indeed, he raised his hand to strike him a second time, when the Barmecide cried out that he was mad, upon which my brother controlled himself, and apologized and protested that it was all the fault of the wine he had drunk. At this the Barmecide, instead of being angry, began to laugh and embraced him heartily. "'I have long been seeking,' he exclaimed, "'a man of your description, and henceforth my house shall be yours. You have had the good grace to fall in with my humour, and to pretend to eat and to drink when nothing was there. Now you shall be rewarded by a really good supper.' Then he clapped his hands, and all the dishes were brought that they had tasted in imagination before, and during the repast slaves sang and played on various instruments. All the while Shakabak was treated by the Barmecide as a familiar friend, and dressed in a garment out of his own wardrobe. Twenty years passed by, and my brother was still living with the Barmecide, looking after his house and managing his affairs. At the end of that time his generous benefactor died without heirs, so all his possessions went to the prince. They even despoiled my brother of those that rightly belonged to him, and he, now as poor as he had ever been in his life, decided to cast in his lot with a caravan of pilgrims who were on their way to Mecca. Unluckily, the caravan was attacked and pillaged by the Bedouins, and the pilgrims were taken prisoners. My brother became the slave of a man who beat him daily, hoping to drive him to offer a ransom, although, as Shakabak pointed out, it was quite useless trouble, as his relations were as poor as himself. At length the Bedouin grew tired of tormenting, and sent him on a camel to the top of a high barren mountain, where he left him to take his chance. A passing caravan on its way to Baghdad told me where he was to be found, and I hurried to his rescue, and brought him in a deplorable condition back to the town. This, continued the barber, is the tale I related to the caliph, who, when I had finished, burst into fits of laughter. "'Well, were you called the Silent?' said he. "'No name was ever better deserved.' But for reasons of my own, which is not necessary to mention, I desire you to leave the town and never to come back. I had, of course, no choice but to obey, and travelled about for several years until I heard of the death of the caliph, when I hastily returned to Baghdad, only to find that all my brothers were dead. It was at this time that I rendered to the young cripple the important service of which you have heard, and for which, as you know, he showed such profound ingratitude that he preferred rather to leave Baghdad than to run the risk of seeing me. I sought him long from place to place, but it was only to-day, when I expected at least, that I came across him, as much irritated with me as ever. So saying, the tailor went on to relate the story of the lame man and the barber, which has already been told. When the barber, he continued, had finished his tale, we came to the conclusion that the young man had been right, when he had accused him of being a great chatterbox. However, we wished to keep him with us, and share our feast, and we remained at table till the hour of the afternoon prayer. Then the company broke up, and I went back to work in my shop. It was during this interval that the little hunchback, half drunk already, presented himself before me, singing and playing on his drum. I took him home to amuse my wife, and she invited him to supper. 
while eating some fish a bone got into his throat and in spite of all we could do he died shortly it was all so sudden that we lost our heads and in order to divert suspicions from ourselves we carried the body to the house of a jewish physician he placed it in the chamber of the purveyor and the purveyor propped it up in the street where it was thought to have been killed by the merchant this sire is the story which i was obliged to tell to satisfy your highness it is now for you to say if we deserve mercy or punishment life or death the sultan of kashgar listened with an air of pleasure which filled the tailor and his friends with hope i must confess he exclaimed that i am much more interested in the stories of the barber and his brothers and of the lame man than in that of my own jester but before i allow you all four to return to your own homes and have the corpse of the hunchback properly buried i should like to see this barber who has earned your pardon and as he is in this town let an usher go with you at once in search of him the usher and the tailor soon returned bringing with them an old man who must have been at least ninety years of age o oh, silent one said the sultan i am told that you know many strange stories will you tell some of them to me never mind my stories for the present replied the barber but will your highness graciously be pleased to explain why this jew this christian and this mussulman as well as this dead body are all here what business is that of yours asked the sultan with a smile but seeing that the barber had some reasons for his question he commanded that the tale of the hunchback should be told him it is certainly most surprising cried he when he had heard it all but i should like to examine the body he then knelt down and took the head on his knees looking at it attentively suddenly he burst into such loud laughter that he fell right backwards and when he had recovered himself enough to speak he turned to the sultan the man is no more dead than i am he said watch me as he spoke he drew a small case of medicines from his pocket and rubbed the neck of the hunchback with some ointment made of balsam next he opened the dead man's mouth and by the help of a pair of pincers drew the bone from his throat at this the hunchback sneezed stretched himself and opened his eyes the sultan and all those who saw this operation did not know which to admire most the constitution of the hunchback who had apparently been dead for a whole night and most of one day or the skill of the barber whom every one now began to look upon as a great man his highness desired that the history of the hunchback should be written down and placed in the archives beside that of the barber so that they might be associated in people's mind to the end of time and he did not stop there for in order to wipe out the memory of what they had undergone he commanded that the tailor the doctor the purveyor and the merchant should each be clothed in his presence with a robe from his own wardrobe before they returned home as for the barber he bestowed on him a large pension and kept him near his own person end of chapter twenty five recording by linda ferguson